Well, good morning once again, and uh, welcome to, uh, to Fellowship. If you are, are new here, and uh, maybe this is your first time, maybe it's just a few times, we do want you to know how glad we are that you're here, and hope, again, that you feel very uh, just welcomed and received by our church. And uh, let me just once again uh, say uh, happy Mother's Day to all, to all the moms um, that are out there. I think it's important for us as a church, one of the things we want you to know, um, and not just as moms, but as families, is there are many different messages of, of, of Happy Mother's Day to moms, but it's more, as a church, it's more than that for us. We don't just want to say Happy Mother's Day. We want to make sure that we're expressing a biblical idea of what it is uh, that, that mothers are and families and fathers and how important that is to God. And so we don't just say happy Mother's Day, but we celebrate God's design in a culture that is falling further and further away from that. And so uh, that's one of the things that we want to do also as a church. Um, I'm in a series in the book of Acts. Again, if you're new, uh, we are just walking through a book of the Bible, and we've been doing that for, for months now. And so we're just going to continue on in that and invite you to join uh, with us. And today we're going to be seeing uh, the idea of the foolishness of self-exaltation. And, and so in, in today's text, as we are just, again, walking through this book, we're going to see uh, this character that we're learning about who is a real person who lived in our world's history, uh, King Herod Agrippa. He is hailed as a god, and he's foolish enough to receive that praise. And it reminded me of a, of a scene from the, the first Avengers movie. And for those of you who are Marvel fans, you'll, you'll, you'll come along right with me. But if you're not, uh, you'll, I'll hopefully explain it well enough that you'll follow. But in the first movie, there's a scene where uh, Thor is going to battle with his brother uh, Loki. And they're from another planet and, and almost like looked at as gods. And so Iron Man is also in this battle and, um, and he joins it to help Thor fight against Loki. And uh, Captain America is in this jet and he sees uh, Iron Man fly off to battle and he readies himself then to jump out of this jet to join the battle. And Black Widow is, is flying the plane and she says to him, you know, Cap, I'd sit this one out. They're basically gods. In other words, you know, you're just Captain America, but you may not want to join this battle. And he comes back with a classic line and he says, there's only one God, ma'am. And I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. <laughs> Referring to Thor and to Loki. And then he jumps out of the jet. And, and the same is really true of, of Herod in our story today. Because there's only one God. And I'm quite sure he doesn't look or dress or sound like Herod Agrippa. And Herod foolishly exalted himself as God. And then he was dealt with accordingly. Now, a question for all of us to consider as we get into this text, and I'll get into this a little bit more later, but something for, uh, for each of you to think about. What or who are you exalting above Christ? 
I want that question to just be a question that you're thinking about even before we get into this text. What or who are you exalting above Christ. I'm going to pray and ask God to lead us, and then we'll get into uh, the text. Lord God, thank you. Thank you already for this time of worship that we've had, this gathering of believers that has so much meaning to you. It's, it's why you've called us to do this. And Lord God, we, we acknowledge that it is only through the spirit of God that we can understand spiritual things. And so we ask you spirit to illuminate truth to each and every person that is here, that they would have ears to hear. They would have eyes to see maybe truth that they've not hear, heard or seen before, but with your help and timing, they will today. We trust you to do the work, God, that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we, we left off with Peter going to, to the home where the believers were gathered to pray after the Lord had miraculously delivered him. And, uh, and so he left Jerusalem then to escape the manhunt. So he was in jail. Herod had put him in jail. And an angel came and miraculously delivered him. And so he leaves Jerusalem to escape what is now this manhunt going on. And so Luke, who is our writer, he wrote this book. He now brings us back to Herod in this chapter. He was the king again who had arrested Peter and he had planned on executing him before he escaped. And so we pick up in verse 18 and we see that Peter's escape, what it does is it causes great commotion in Jerusalem. And you can see that there in verse 18, when day came, so that happened in the night when he was released uh, from, from prison by the angel, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers of, over what had become a Peter. And then Herod searched for him and he couldn't find him. And you could imagine this search. This wasn't a search where, you know, has anybody seen Peter? If, you, if so, let us know. You know, this was soldiers walking through the town and, and forcing doors open and looking for him. And then he examined the sentries in order that they should be put to death. And then he went from Judea to Caesarea. So after Peter was miraculously delivered, again, it caused quite a commotion among the soldiers. And the question is, what happened to Peter and how did he escape? And so Herod had these soldiers cross-examined. And after not getting any good information from them, he had them executed. I mean, you could imagine what this questioning was like. What do you mean there was a blinding light? What do you mean the chains fell off? What do you mean the gate just opened? Like, what do you think I am, an idiot? Like, I'm the king. You can't give me excuses like that. These soldiers knew their fate. And they knew that their, their story sounded crazy, but... What else could they say? So they, they, they probably resorted to the truth and hoped that maybe it would work. And it didn't. And then after all of this, Luke wants us to know that Herod went from Judea to Caesarea. And we also see that a few months passed 
before the events of verses 20 through 23 took place, which is what we're going to get into next. So as you're going through this chapter, you might think, oh, that sounds like it's the next day. It's not. After, after Herod leaves Judea and goes into Caesarea, a few months pass, and then we see the events happening that we're going to get into next. Now, I mentioned this before when we started this chapter, but because I assume that we don't have everybody uh, here that was with us before, uh, I wanted to make sure I had a, took, a, took some time to repeat some information about Herod, who we're talking about here. This Agrippa. Agrippa was the grandson of Herod the Great. And again, he was the king that slaughtered the babies that were trying to kill the Christ child in the Christmas story. And, his, and then Aristobulus was the father of Agrippa. And uh, he too was killed by Herod the Great, which was his own father. And then there's Herod Antipas, which we've read about in scripture as well. And uh, he was the son of Herod the Great, but he was also the uncle of Herod Agrippa. And Herod Antipas is the one who beheaded John the Baptist. So this family took a lot of different means to keep their power. And so here we're talking now about Agrippa. We pick up in verse 20 and we see that Agrippa restricts food supply to Tyre and Sidon. He was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, Luke tells us. And, and so what happens is they, the, 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 the coastal towns of Tyre and Sidon, they depended on Herod and they depended on him and his region of control for food. So for their food supply, they would get from the area that Herod had command over. And so for political reasons, what Agrippa did is he had issued an economic blockade on, on these, uh, these coastal towns of Tyre and Sidon and didn't allow food to get in there. Now Luke doesn't go into detail and he doesn't tell us why. He doesn't give us the backstory of all the, the politics behind that. But it's very likely that his first century audience knew exactly why. What he does tell us is that Blastus, who is a servant chamberlain to the king, to Agrippa, he mediated peace. He mediated peace between Agrippa and the leaders of Tyre and Sidon so that there would be an accord. And then what we see that Luke tells us next is that Agrippa calls for a royal celebration. We see that in verse 21. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. So I want to explain what's going on here. And, and to do that, I'm going to be referring to a Jewish historian uh, named uh, Josephus, which some of you may be uh, familiar with. He's, he's known in history as writing a, a lot of Jewish history. And I'll be referring some to, of what he wrote and also referring to what Luke wrote in the book of Acts. But I want to make something very clear. I'm not equating, I'm not at all equating Josephus and his historical writing to the scriptures. But we can learn some things that were not included in the scripture, not by mistake, by design, and fill in the rest of the story. And there is no contradiction here with what we see and and what Luke wrote. But according to Josephus, this Jewish historian, Agrippa, what he did is he called for a feast to honor the Roman emperor Claudius. 
Because if you call for a feast to honor the emperor, you can pretty much guarantee you're going to be able to do it. And so Agrippa was going to use this occasion to actually exalt himself. And so Claudius gave him the reason and the permission, but this celebration was really going to be all about Agrippa. And so the people gathered in this amphitheater in Caesarea. Again, we're in Caesarea now. And it's the same amphitheater that was built by Agrippa's grandfather, Herod the Great. So there's even some tie-in there. You could imagine the pride that Agrippa had. That my grandfather built this and here I am with all of these people and they're here to hear me, to see me. Now Josephus, the historian, he writes also of this event. And he provides a little bit more detail. And he wrote that Agrippa went into the theater and he went before the people and he did that early in the morning. And that he wore a garment that was made entirely of silver. Entirely of silver. Think about that. His garment was made wholly of silver. I mean, this is the first century version of of the self-exaltation and decadence of Hollywood stars on the red carpet. This is like the red carpet in the first century in the amphitheater in Caesarea. And Josephus wrote specifically in this historical document, he writes about his garment reflecting so brilliantly when the sun hit the silver that people had to look away. And then Agrippa sat on his throne in front of the people and he gave a royal address, an oration, a speech, a public address, most likely commending himself for making peace with Tyre and Sidon, which by the way, their leaders are there listening and he's, he's exerting his own, uh, his own power over them. He talked about the prosperity of his region that he had control over, the prosperity of the people in his region because of him. And then his also, he talked about his relationships and leadership with Rome and how that benefited the people that he was the king over. So this was really an occasion in which Agrippa was making clear how great of a job he had done. And then we see Luke tells us that the people hailed him as a God and he welcomed the honor and the praise. Verse 22, and the people were shouting the voice of a God and not of a man. Now again, we go to what Josephus said about this. He tells us a little bit more of what the people actually said to Agrippa. In this event. And what the people said, or at least someone said, representing the people, is be thou merciful to us. I'll put this on the screen here for you to see. For although we have hitherto reverenced thee only as a man, yet shall we henceforth henceforth own thee as superior to mortal nature. The people are basically claiming that he is a god. They're saying, you know, we used to refer to you as a man, but now, now we see that you're more than that. He's a God and they hail him as so. There's so much irony here. And I want to, I want to take time to at least mention, mention that because here we know that this is occurring after 
Jesus, the true king of all kings, he was rejected by these same people. He was God himself in the flesh. God himself in the flesh rejected him. They crucified him. But this very wicked, self-exalting man, this man they recognize as some sort of God-man. And he accepts the praise. In fact, he lavishes in the exaltation. Bring it on. Bring more of it on. And then we see Luke tells us that Agrippa is struck down and he's killed by an angel of the Lord. We see that in verse 23. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. He was eaten by worms and breathed his last. That word struck that you see there is the same Greek word that was used earlier in the chapter. Now, this is Luke, the writer. He's writing this. You're aware when you write a paper for school, right? How many times am I using the same word? You know, because your, your, your professor or your teacher will take note of that. You've used that word 17 times in three paragraphs. You need to choose. You need to expand the vocabulary, right? Well, Luke is, is using this word intentionally again for, for a purpose because he's using that word struck. And it's, again, the same word that, the, that he used when he was describing the angel that struck Peter to wake him up. So Peter was struck by the angel of the Lord to be rescued by God. And Herod is being struck by the angel of the Lord to be judged by God. And there's a, there's a contrast. Perhaps it was the same angel of the Lord. We do not, we do not know that. And what we see is that the angel of the Lord brings rescue and the angel of the Lord brings judgment. Now, Josephus, when he wrote about this, he wrote that on this very day, Agrippa suddenly felt extreme pain in his stomach and he died a terribly painful death. So again, going back to what Luke says, Luke tells us that he was immediately struck down. This could mean that the pain was so sudden, so sharp, so severe that it caused him, Agrippa, to collapse. Josephus wrote that Herod actually spoke the following about this incident. I want to I read that for you and put it up on the screen for you to see. So this is, this is what Josephus wrote about what Herod said. I, whom you call a God, am commanded presently to depart this life while providence thus reproves the lying words you just now said to me. And I, who was by you called a mortal, am immediately to be hurried away by death. He recognized something about what was going on in him based on what Josephus wrote. And that is that this was fatal. Maybe he had seen this same kind of thing in others and knew that when this happened to other people, they didn't last long. You don't know. I mean, they didn't have, this was first century medicine at this point. And then he died after a torturous five days at 54 years of age. Now, it's not certain. We can't be certain that those exact words that Josephus has, us, has written down is what he said. But if he did say them, there's really no repentance in them. There's just an acceptance of the reality that he's about to live out. There's a difference 
We've talked about that, right? A difference between acknowledgement, admission, confession, repentance. Many scholars who've looked at this passage, some of them with a lot of medical expertise, have really researched this and then researched some of the things that were going on in the first century and believe that he was probably afflicted with parasites which caused his awful death and which is why Luke specifically mentioned worms. So this was an awful death. Now Luke does tell us something that Josephus never really mentions and that is why this happened. Luke maybe doesn't provide a lot of the detail of the what but he's very concerned about the why. Under the inspiration of the Spirit, he told us why it happened. So why did this happen to Agrippa? It happened because he did not give God the glory. He did not give God the glory. You see, the problem, the problem of self-exaltation is a problem of robbing God of his glory. And although none of us would probably identify ourselves with Herod, With Agrippa, we'd be like, I'd never do that. We do sometimes rob God of his glory. And in that way, we can learn from this ourselves. See, the question for us is, do we fall sometimes into the foolish wickedness of not giving glory to God in our lives? And when we do that, we rob him of his glory. And the the reality is we all do this. And so may God be merciful. May God forgive us. I'm going to get back to that in a little bit. Moving on with the text and what Luke tells us next is that the word of God, he says the word of God continues to spread and to multiply. We see in verse 24 A sharp contrast again. We're starting to understand Luke's writing style. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Period. Boom. I want you to know something that happened. And I want you to know that something is transitioning. Or something else is going on. And then he talks about Barnabas and Saul. Luke is making something very clear here. And he doesn't want us to miss it. He doesn't want you to miss it. He doesn't want his readers to miss it. So so when you step back now, right? We've kind of walked through this whole chapter. If you step back from this chapter and kind of gave a brief summary of it now, you would say, okay, the, the chapter started with Herod executing James, arresting Peter, intending to execute Peter, James is in glory with Jesus. Peter is free. Herod is dead and condemned. This is, how, this is what's all happening in this chapter. Not only that, Luke wants us to know, but the word of God is increasing. The word of God is multiplying. The word of God is continuing to do exactly as God intended for it to do. In other words, Herod couldn't stop it. 
I mean, you could almost say this chapter is about Herod trying to stop the progression of the word of God. He can't do it. God wins, he loses. The word of God spreads, the rule of man ends, and it ends with judgment and it ends with catastrophe. And then Luke tells us that Barnabas and Saul went back to Antioch after they brought the offering that they had originally collected in Antioch. Remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago. They were collecting from the, from the Gentile churches to bring it back to Jerusalem to help the Jerusalem church. And now Luke is telling us they're returning. And we're going to see that as we go back, as we look into chapter 13. He's mo- what, what Luke is doing is he's moving the main story of Acts. He's moving it back to Saul. And we're going to see that as we continue. So we will continue in the text next week. But what I want to do in the, for the rest of our time together is, is draw some, some truths and, and response um, and application for us from this text, from the meaning of the text that we should reflect on and also consider. So what I want to do is I, I wanted to just give you uh, two ways in which we demonstrate Self-exaltation. These are ways we self-exalt. So the first, the first way that I have here is opposing the Lord's ways and instructions. One of the ways we, we self-exalt is when we oppose the Lord's ways and instructions. And again, I, I want to I make sure that you understand this is coming out of the text So one of the clear truths coming from this text is the fact that if you oppose God, in the end, you will lose. There's no winning when it comes to opposing the ways of God, the truth of God, and the purposes of God. Herod, he tried to do this, and he failed miserably. He should have learned from his grandfather. Even the killing of James did not work as he expected. He got some temporary, you know, acclaim for killing James, but it fleeted very fast, so fast that he was like, all right, let's arrest Peter and we'll kill him too because I need more. It'll bring some more acclaim. I'll I'll be even more highly exalted. But the Lord rescued Peter and Agrippa was embarrassed He was humiliated by this. How humiliating it must have been, especially if he sent word back to Rome about what he was going to do to Peter. And then they found out, oh, Peter's gone now. So he killed the guards and he left. He left town. You know, the news cycle was not good for Herod at this time. You know, the news cycle was Herod blew it. Where's Peter? What happened? So then he wins a political battle. He mediates peace with Tyre and Sidon. Now he could bask in the greatness of that. But instead of of basking in the greatness of his political prowess, he was humbled, humiliated, and condemned. So even when it seems like God is losing, he is not. And I know it can seem that way when you watch what is happening in our world. 
It is foolishness to oppose God. Opposing the Lord is a no-win proposition. And when we believe, when we believe that the rule of man supersedes the rule of God, we're moving into self-exaltation. Because there's only one God, and I'm pretty sure we're not him. When we, when, we, when we believe this, when we take in the rule of man over the rule of God, and that's what was going on. These people were seeing. They could see Herod. They could touch him. They, could, they, they had this, this, they didn't take faith. He was right there before, before them. And to believe in him and to trust in him was very easy for them to do. And so they were doing that. They're putting their faith in him, putting their, putting their trust in him. But there, there was no victory there. There was, there was no profit for them because of what God had done to humble him right before them all. And anytime you see someone who is in this uh, position of of, of, of power and authority doing what it is that they're doing for the wrong reasons, which we see with Herod, you can be sure they will be humbled before God at some point. And we see that. I know we see that a lot with what is happening in our world right now. We see people, we see, we see a guy like, like, like Putin doing what he's doing. We hear leaders in our country saying some of the things that they're saying uh, that we know are completely in contradiction with the word of God. And we have to trust that our God is in control, sovereign, and he rules over them. And at his, in his timing, and when, when he's ready, he will humble them before him. We just have to trust in that. And I think sometimes what we'd want is we want to humble them. Amen. <laughs> Amen. We do it. We do it. And we'll use different means to do it. Sometimes it's as easy as typing some letters on our phone and posting it. But we, gotta let, we have to let God do what it is that God is going to do. But we do, as a church, need to stand for the truth and who God is. And we see that expressed here. Now, the second, the second way in which we commit this sin of self-exaltation is accepting glory for ourselves, glory that belongs wholly to God. When, when we accept glory for ourselves that actually belongs to God, we are committing the sin of self-exaltation. And then we're not that far from Herod. Agrippa self-exalted by accepting the praise of the people. Boy, do we love the praise of people. And when we do the same, we commit the prideful sin. And that's what this is. This is a prideful sin of self-exaltation. Self-exaltation is rooted in a prideful heart. It's rooted in the love of self. 
And so when we accept praise, when we accept glory, when we accept credit that belongs wholly to God, we are committing the sin of self-exaltation and robbing God of his glory. First Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourself so that at the right time, the proper time, he may exalt you. He exalts you. You don't exalt you. We're to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he can do what he would like to do with each and every one of us. We do not self-exalt. We allow God to humble us under his mighty hand. And then he exalts us. And he does so in his way and he does so in his timing. Because what we see here in this text and in many others is God will humble the self-exalter. And so we have to be careful about this. Even with the great things that are going on in our church and the way that God has, has blessed our church, please do not give me or any of the pastors the credit. Don't tempt us to accept the praise of men, but instead to give the glory to God because it's his alone. He's the one at work. He's the one doing what it is that he's doing. And we need to be faithful to him. And that is as simple as it needs to be. I certainly do not want to be put in a place where, uh, where I am robbing God of the glory that he deserves. And neither should any one of you for anything else. And what's so interesting about this is that, the, is that much of what we self-exalt over are the blessings of God. This is what's so interesting about this is we can exalt over the God's blessing to us. Agrippa was an authority, authority that we know from scripture says it was granted to him by God. But he self-exalted in that authority instead of the God who gave it to him. So I want to ask you a question. What has God blessed you with? What has God blessed you with in your life? Success? Are you considered successful? Have you maybe achieved high academic standards, maybe, you know, high academic achievement in your life, and you're very proud of that. Maybe God has given you, or you have, you have somehow come to the point in your life where you have financial independence. Maybe beauty is it. You're, you're good looking. You kind of know it. You've had business success. You have possessions, great possessions. Maybe it's family. And none of those are inherently wrong. In fact, they're blessings to us from God. But when we start to believe that we have these things because of what we have done, we self-exalt. 
So do you self-exalt in what you've accomplished? Think about this, because I don't know the answer. Deep down in your heart, when you think about where you are in life, what you've accomplished, what's going on, do you say, yeah, I, I kind of did all this. Who's getting the glory? Who is getting the glory? Whatever it is that God has blessed you with, he gets the glory. He gets all of it. Whatever it is we have, whatever it is we have, it came from him. He gave it to us. It is his blessing to us, his blessing on us. We exalt him for his love toward us. So humble yourself under the, un, under the mighty hand of God before the Lord. And then give him the glory for all of it. I started, I started by asking you, who or what are you exalting above Christ? So I want to go back to that question. And there's a chair, an image, a throne. Who's on the throne? What has the Spirit of God brought to your mind? Whatever it is, take time. If there's something else that's taking the place of God, if there is something else that, that is receiving glory, and many times it's us, take time now to confess it before God and just say, Lord, I do not want to rob you of your glory. I want you to get all of it because there is nothing that I have that has not come from you. And there is nothing that I have that you can't take away. So I give it all to you. I deserve none of the glory. You get all of it. This is an incredible story here that we've seen. Herod Agrippa was struck down because he did not give God the glory. That is about as clear exposition as you can get in terms of what Luke wrote and what we can take from it. So let me encourage you, take every opportunity in your life to do the opposite. Give God the glory. And blessings from God are opportunities from God for you to give him the glory. Don't take credit for it. Give it to him. Give him all of the glory. He is due and worthy of it all. Amen. All right, let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you, Lord God, for how you work in our lives. We, each one of us, have been blessed in so many ways. We truly could count, take the time to count our blessings. That doesn't mean there aren't difficulties and it doesn't mean there aren't trials that each of us are facing. But Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us to humble ourselves before you and to give you all the glory that you are due. And if there are places in our lives where we are taking the credit Forgive us and help us 
to give it all back to you where, where it belongs. Lord God, we want to glorify you. We want to magnify your name, not ours, not our accomplishments. We want it all to go to you. So help us to live this way humbly before you for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.